Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson bringing to you this week news from Europe, the United States, and a very recent see you in hell from Brazil. Starting out in the European Union, the European Union itself, that is the, the actual governing body, is discussing freezing funds for Hungary and Poland. The EU governing body is talking about doing this essentially because of uh, anti-democratic shit that they've been pulling. Uh, this news is coming from Reuters. Uh, this is the main enforcement mechanism that the European Union as a whole has against member states, uh, withholding EU money from those member states if they fail to comply with EU regulations or minimum EU standards for governance or human rights. Specifically, Hungary and Poland are being targeted, or at least potentially targeted for this, because of, well, in Hungary's case, for corruption. People and businesses associated with the governing Fidesz party have received a disproportionate amount of this EU funding. And in Poland's case, uh, they're not being targeted for corruption, but rather for attacking judiciary independence, which is one of the basic criteria for being a member of the European Union. And so if they're failing to meet those criteria, then they fail to get the benefits of being an EU member state. Now, for those of you who are from, you know, say the United States or from some other country that is organized in a similarly federal way, this is not unlike if the federal government of the United States said like, hey, Texas, if you don't follow this regulation, you don't get this federal money. It's very similar, a very similar concept. Uh, so if the EU decides to withhold these funds, it would be one of their biggest, um, the biggest sticks that they could apply to Hungary and Poland for the anti-democratic turn that they have been taking recently. Moving on to the United States, there is news from a major leak uh, regarding the Patriot Front, one of the largest neo-Nazi fascist type organizations in the United States. The leaks come from Unicorn Riot, uh, a website that does journalism based on this kind of investigative and, you know, leak-based stuff. Uh, so if you're really interested in digging deeper into this, I highly suggest going to them and checking that out. Uh, investigators there have access to videos and chats about racist campaigns and all sorts of other really nefarious activity that the Patriot Front was involved in. This is coming as the leaders of some of the other biggest fascist organizations in the United States, namely the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys are also facing scrutiny and getting, you know, a lot of really negative press and terrible legal attention, uh, terrible for them, that is good for the rest of us, uh, because of their involvement in the January 6th attempted coup of 2021. Uh, this leak suggests or really shows that the Patriot Front had a lot of plans to deface monuments, uh, that they were actually defacing a lot of monuments to anti-racism or to queer rights or to women's rights, um, that they were recruiting minors, something that they claimed that they weren't doing, uh, that they were lauding a bunch of Nazis and fascists from other groups. Uh, all of this is the kind of stuff that they like. their public face indicates that they don't do or that they were at least trying to distance themselves from. Clearly, obviously, though, they were doing all of this in private. Now, we're talking like uh, now made public are a bunch of photos of them graffitiing over murals uh, honoring people who were murdered by the police, black men murdered by the police, or graffitiing over murals that celebrated women's right to choose whether or not they wanted to be pregnant. Uh, all of which go against the Patriot Front's very right-wing political ideology. Uh, 
Continuing on in the United States, we have new subpoenas or just requests to cooperate from the January 6th Special Investigation Committee in the House of Representatives. Uh, these stories are everywhere, so you'll be able to just find them if you search for this information on Google. One of the people who's been asked to cooperate with the investigation is Ivanka Trump. Now, she has not been subpoenaed. She's merely been asked to cooperate, although that was the first step before a lot of these other subpoenas. So who knows? Uh, for those of you who don't know, Ivanka Trump is one of Trump's children. And she was specifically asked to comment on his plans for preventing the election's certification on and around January 6th. Uh, they want to know about her close, intimate knowledge uh, as a member of Trump's inner circle uh, and for her to be able to comment on those crucial days leading up to the attempted coup. Specifically, they want to know about conversations between Donald Trump and Mike Pence about Pence preventing the certification of the election. Apparently, Ivanka Trump was in the room on some of those calls, and so she might be able to actually like talk to investigators about what happened, because Trump and Pence definitely are not. Additional people who have been requested to cooperate are Eric Trump, another one of Trump's children, and Kimberly Gulfoyle, who is not one of Trump's children, but is about to become one of his daughters-in-law. She is engaged to Trump's son, Donald Trump Jr., now, all of these requests are the first time that members of Trump's family have been asked to cooperate with the January 6th committee. Trump himself got really enraged about this and commented on it, you know, in one of his, you know, claims that this was unfair and that they're targeting children. Uh, his children are, of course, in their 40s. Uh, additionally, the January 6th committee has issued more subpoenas. Uh, these ones uh, have been uh, at people who were literally involved in fascist organizing. Specifically, we're talking about Nick Fuentes and Patrick Casey. I've talked about Nick Fuentes a couple other times on the podcast. He is, well, also a podcaster. He is essentially the leader of the Groiper movement, which is the current ascendant part of the alt-right. Uh, he's also a leader of the America First movement, uh, which is another, like, fascist organization in the United States. Not fascist necessarily in the sense that they uh, go out in the streets and try to take stuff over, you know, in a Proud Boy style, but rather in a like uh, suit and tie, uh, model UN type fascist organization. Uh, Nick Fuentes and Patrick Casey have been subpoenaed over information for their involvement in getting people to the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, they were apparently at the rally, but did not enter the Capitol building itself. Fuentes and Casey are also under investigation specifically by the FBI because they received anonymous payments in Bitcoin uh, from a computer that is physically located in France. Uh, Fuentes received about a quarter million dollars and Casey received about $25,000. The FBI is trying to find out from whom they got this money, uh, especially because it's potentially related to their involvement in planning the coup and trying to get people, you know, actual boots on the ground there. Um, this is extremely interesting because it could mean that the committee is really, really tightening the strings here. You know, they're, they're really connecting the dots between Donald Trump on the one hand, like, and his allies in the government, and also people who were working in fascist movements outside of the government, planning to support the coup by providing the human muscle needed in order to take the Capitol and prevent Joe Biden from being certified as the president of the United States. 
Additionally, in the United States, we have news from NPR that the January 6th panel is also investigating plans that Donald Trump had to seize voting machines. Uh, This plan came in the form of a written but not signed executive order, uh, which would have been on the part of Donald Trump uh, and might have been issued as early as October of 2020. The executive order would have gotten the Department of Defense to seize voting machines in key states. You know, we're talking Michigan, Ohio, Georgia, states that Donald Trump lost in 2020, but won in 2016, and which would have been necessary in order for him to have legitimately won the election in 2020. Uh, The executive order would have been justified under, you know, a law that enables the military to, you know, protect election materials in the case of serious danger. This would have given the Department of Defense control over the election data in a bunch of very important states. And just before the election, Donald Trump had, of course, stuffed the Department of Defense with a bunch of loyalists. You know, he had uh, fired a bunch of people and made a bunch of appointments of people who were really, really on his side. Uh, You know, appointees who were going to do what he told them to do. This could have conceivably given them the power to actually just like fiddle with vote counts or to, you know, like do their own recounts, do their own uh, investigation and plant new information, just like straight up lie about how the election went. And if they had been able to do that with the legitimacy of this executive order and with the cooperation of the Department of Defense, that would have, A, prolonged the process of Biden's potential inauguration, potentially beyond January and into February or March of 2021. It would have also given them legal standing to claim that the election was rigged. You know, they could have made the evidence for the case that they were making. Now, Trump never signed this executive order. Uh, We're going to have to wait for a bunch of documents to be released, for people to talk in order to figure out exactly why this order was written but not issued. Uh, But it's an extremely fascinating example of something that the Trump administration seriously considered. You know, I mean, this is on like letterhead and everything. There's a dotted line for Trump to sign and he just didn't sign it. Uh, We're just going to have to wait to see exactly why he didn't sign this, who wrote it, Uh, how it was discussed, and why they decided that they weren't going to go with this option. I'm going to close out this week, as I do every week, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. And this week, well, we got lucky. Uh, Somebody important in right-wing history died this week, Uh, and his name is Olavo de Cavallo a Brazilian outsider right-wing philosopher, uh, think a more intellectual Bannon. And by intellectual, I mean he is an intellectual bully, or rather was an intellectual bully. De Carvalho was born in Brazil in 1947 to a middle-class family. And as a youth, he, well, he began his political involvement as a communist, but then turned away from it. He studied astrology for a time and then also worked with several philosophy professors at the Universidade Católica de São Paulo, the Catholic University of São Paulo, uh, but he never received or even really sought a, an actual formal degree in philosophy. Instead, he maintained himself as an outside independent scholar, author, magazine writer, thinker, that sort of thing. Uh, as an author, de Carvalho was extremely prolific. He wrote dozens of books and hundreds of magazine articles, if not more. 
and was universally recognized as an ideologue of the extreme, even fringe, right wing for the majority of his career. Uh, he was a conspiracy theorist. He maintained, for example, um, that Pepsi was flavored with fetus materials obtained from abortions. Uh, he was a skeptic of heliocentrism. You know, he thought that maybe it is the sun that revolves around the earth. Uh, he was a birtherist, uh, as in he believed that uh, Barack Obama was not legitimately able to run for the president of the United States, that he wasn't born in the United States. In addition to these more blatant, obvious, somewhat fringe conspiracy theories, uh, Jukarvalu also believed in a bunch of more, unfortunately, mainstream right-wing conspiracy theories uh, that led him in the direction of anti-Semitism. Uh, he was opposed to queer rights. He was opposed to women's rights. And as a scholar and as a commentator, he was extremely rhetorically violent. Uh, he insults people in his writing. Um, he is just very cruel uh, in his descriptions of his opponents. He's critical of the establishment press. He believed that all other established intellectuals were frauds. He didn't like the education system. In the early 2000s, Jukarvalu uh, moved to the United States, and it's there that his real serious influence on Brazilian politics began in the form of a series of online classes, you know, we're talking like lectures and reading lists and stuff, that he created. Uh, and these classes were attended by many important, influential people in Brazilian right-wing politics over the last 20 years, including, ultimately most importantly, Bolsonaro's children and several insider allies of what would eventually become Bolsonaro's key political circle. Uh, this was exactly what Jukarvalu wanted. You know, he, he wanted to create this intellectual circle for himself, uh, to surround himself and like rebuild the Brazilian intellectual right wing, and, and he succeeded in doing so. And this is what he's primarily remembered for now as being an intellectual backer and sort of like the home philosopher of Bolsonaro's presidency. It's gone so far that he was allegedly consulted by Bolsonaro over potential cabinet appointments in the Bolsonaro presidency. He only met Bolsonaro when Bolsonaro visited the United States because, again, Jukarvalu, this Brazilian intellectual, has lived in the United States for the majority of the last 20 years. Uh, he also met with his U.S. counterpart, Steve Bannon, uh, who always praised him, although Jukarvalu was apparently not exactly keen on Bannon um, until, you know, Bannon's success as Trump's ideologue in residence. Chikavalu was ultimately undone by one of his conspiracy theory beliefs. He thought that COVID was a hoax. And this week in history, he died, apparently, of uh, complications from a coronavirus infection. Uh, that information, at least, is coming from one of his daughters, who is extremely skeptical and extremely critical of her father. Uh, no other cause of death has been released as of yet. So that's Olavo Chikavalu a COVID denialist and Brazilian right-wing ideologue who died this week in history on January 24th. So, Olavo de Carvalho, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. 
I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please share it with friends, family, and comrades. Leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really enjoyed the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com or hist of the right. That's H I S T of the right on Twitter. All right. Thanks. And I'll talk to you next week.